Maybe some of you come from traditions where you don't uh, recognize or talk about the season of Advent, but it's in preparation for the Lord's coming, His coming in Bethlehem, but also the second coming of Christ. And Advent simply means coming. The Christian church prepares for the coming of Christ's child at Bethlehem, but we also, especially in this first week of Advent, focus on the second coming of Christ. When Christ will return for His daughters and sons, those who are living and those who have died in Christ will be raised to new life in Christ. In the message today, I will focus on the second coming of Christ. The theme for this week of Advent is hope. Our hope in the child at Bethlehem and our hope in Christ's return. You may remember in our last chapel that I asked you to send me pictures of hope that you had taken over Thanksgiving break. And I want to thank the one student (laughs) who sent me a photo of hope. So I've asked you to help out in chapel before, and no one does. But thank you for that one student. I'll be showing... Actually, it's a very powerful photo of hope and fits well with the message, and I'm very grateful for it, and I'll show that to you a little later. At many churches, there is an Advent wreath, like we see this one here on the side. We light a candle each week during the four weeks of Christmas, and the fifth candle, the candle in the middle, is known as the Christ candle. And it is lit on Christmas Eve or in some churches on Christmas morning, if you have a Christmas morning service. As we draw closer each week, the light of the wreath gets brighter and brighter, symbolizing that the light of Christ is growing brighter and brighter as we draw closer to Christmas morning. It reminds us that now, even at a distance, several weeks away from Christmas, that a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It is a time of celebration. It is a time of hope this Advent season. And I hope not only in this chapel service, but in your life and in your family and in your church, you truly are celebrating the birth of Christ and the return of Christ. I've asked Crystal and Robin to help me this morning as we enter into this Advent season, as they will be doing an Advent reading, a very brief Advent reading, then lighting the wreath for us. But let us begin with prayer. God of hope. Who brought love into this world through your son Jesus, be the love that dwells between us. God of hope, who brought peace into this world through your son Jesus, be the peace that dwells between us. God of hope, who brought joy into this world through your son Jesus, be the joy that dwells between us. God of hope, the rock we stand upon, be the center, the focus of our lives, always and particularly this Advent season. Through the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. In a world of war, famine, and disease, where children grow up as orphans, where families go hungry and entire regions face destruction by illness, God, we call upon you to come. In a world where so many have lost hope, we call upon you, Lord of hope, to come. In this season of Advent, we wait for the coming of hope into our world. We wait for the birth of the Christ child, the coming of God, into our lives in a new way. Come, Messiah, come and save us.
right. Will you guys pray with me? <laughs> Dear God, we pray for the hope that is in Christ to come into our lives in a new way. May we become hope that is alive in our world. Amen. Get the symphony. Get the children's choir. Get the high school marching band. And the dancers. Don't forget the dancers. We're going to play a new song. All of us. Everyone. This will be God's song. It's part of him, and it's been given to us. And we will sing it from the tallest buildings. It will be the greatest song of all. We will sing it when we are low. We will sing it when we are on a mountain. It is a song of the universe. From its beginning to the present moment. Now. This moment. And it will go on forever because God goes on forever. This is God's song. God the creator, God the good, God the just, God who brushes his opposers off like dust from his shoulders, God the mighty and God the merciful. People will sing this song. People will dance to this song. No critics allowed. They will be stopped dead in their tracks. Their words will be turned against them because today, today we will sing. Today the baby is born. Today the angels break forth. Today darkness cowers in the corner. Today wrongs are righted. Prophecies are fulfilled. Wounds are healed. The hungry stomachs are filled. Today we all get adopted. Today Jesus comes to earth. Yes, Jesus the Messiah. And this is the song we sing. This song will heal the world. This song is the song of our Savior. He is born. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is born. I had asked those in the first or second row before we started. The, the stage has been extended for the Messiah performance uh, this weekend, and I asked if I should stand closer, and they said yes. So if I spit on you uh, during this service, uh, it's your fault. So, uh, But uh, what a week it has been. I hope you had a wonderful time with, with family and friends. And a lot has happened. Um, in these last few weeks, perhaps you've lost hope. We look at situations in our world and in our nation and we begin to say, or at least feel, it's hopeless. We read social media posts and start to become depressed and sense even more hopelessness. We become emotionally exhausted, not only by articles and blogs, but the way, by the way some media outlets report the news and, and what they report and how they report. We have lost hope in politicians and the speeches and rhetoric they give when the cameras are on, but do not appear to give promise to keep those promises made in those speeches while the cameras were on. They try to offer words of hope and healing, but they are so often just empty words with little or no power, or at least that's how it feels to many of us. In the last few years, I've become so disheartened by the media and politics on both sides of the aisle, or all sides, and on all sides of issues, that one of my favorite news sources has actually become... The Onion. 
It is a parody news organization featuring satirical articles on international, national, and local news. I actually enjoy their posts on Twitter. And a recent headline article they posted on Twitter, and I need to edit it because we're in chapel. Nation doesn't know if it can take another BS speech about healing. And while I chuckled when I first read it, I thought, man, there might be some truth in that. Isn't that the way many of us feel? Stop talking to us about healing and hope because it's just words. Nothing ever changes. As we think on the tragedies that happened over this last year, for example, we might continue to lose hope. The Ebola outbreak began in February. Malaysia Flight 370 disappeared in March. 276 Nigerian girls were kidnapped in April. ISIS launches offensive in northern Iraq in June. Journalists was beheaded in Iraq in August. The Israeli conflict, 2,200 dead. That was in August as well. In August 10th, 2014, a shooting in Ferguson, Missouri. Then we come to this first week in Advent where the theme is hope. And we read the passage for the week and it does not appear to have anything to do with hope. Allow me to read the gospel passage this morning. Then we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all. Keep awake. Gospel of our Lord. The words of Jesus. Where is the hope in this text? Passages like this, speaking of Christ's return, actually have always frightened me. They have frightened me because one quickly realizes that the judgment of God will come. The call to keep awake, for you do not know when the master will return, sounds like a threat. Keep awake, or he may find you asleep when he suddenly comes. Keep awake. It feels like he's saying, you better watch your back because Jesus will return, so you better not screw up. Keep awake. It reminds me of the t-shirt I used to see for sale on the streets of New York City that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. It's texts like this one of how Christ will return to judge the living and the dead that seem to be saying, you better be ready, you better not be messing up, or you're going to be in serious, eternal trouble. At least that is what many of us think and how we feel when we read texts like this. But I'd like to suggest to you today that passages like this one and others that talk about the second coming of Christ should not be viewed as texts that cause us to fear and be in despair. But this and other texts like it about Christ's return are actually incredible passages of hope. First, let me briefly explain what we mean by Christ's return. Some of you may have heard the term growing up in your churches, Christ's second coming. Scripture is clear that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. 
The text for today states that then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So those who are still on earth will be gathered up, as the text says. And those who have already died in Christ will be raised to new life. N.T. Wright calls it life after life after death. Christians thought Christians throughout the centuries have prayed, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the prayer of the Christian church. And that is what will come to fulfillment when Christ returns. God's kingdom will come in all its fullness and all its glory. And God's will will be done. His sons, his sons and daughters will be gathered up. Those who are alive and those who have died in Christ are raised to new life in Christ. But not only individually, all of creation will be redeemed, will be renewed. When Christ returns, the kingdom of heaven coming down, God's kingdom coming to earth. That is good news. N.T. Wright goes on to say, The promise is not that Jesus will simply reappear within this present world order, but that when Christ returns, heaven and earth are joined together in the new way God has promised. Then he will appear to us. And we will appear to him and to one another in our own true identity. End quote. So what is that new true identity? We read it in 1 John 3, 2. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And that is good news. When Christ returns, we shall be like him. And, and all of creation will be rene- redeemed and renewed and That is really a good news, a message of hope that we can cling to and hold on to. But the message of judgment, that's always the tough one. That the judgment of God will come and we hear of God's judgment and we live in fear. I better be living the right way because when the Lord comes and who knows, no one knows the hour or the day, we better be ready. It reminds me of those Left Behind films that I saw in the 70s and then Kirk Cameron made. The movies in the 70s were bad enough in these low-budget Left Behind films, but then Kirk Cameron made some in the 90s and they were even worse. And Nicolas Cage, I think, recently made one as well that I did not see. But we live in this, this fear, this Left Behind theology that really isn't bit of a misunderstanding of Scripture, but we live in fear that we're, the judgment will come upon us and we'll be left behind or an eternal, eternal damnation. And so we live in fear. And it's this judgment, this, these, fear tactic, these fear tactics are often used in calling people to a relationship with Christ. I remember the first time I saw a 1974-5 version of, of the Left Behind film. It was in the early 80s and it was at a church and and I'm seven years old and my parents sent me to this movie. I like to think they had no idea what this movie was about. But it, was, it should have been rated R for a horror film. I mean, it was awful. People's heads getting cut off. It was just, it was just terrible. And I'm eight years old, traumatized, uh, needing therapy at the end of this film. Uh, because they're saying, if you don't accept Christ right now, this could happen to you. So what do you think I did? I accepted Christ right then and there. It was a fear tactic. And maybe it's not been to that extreme for you, but these fear tactics of judgment are are often used. But I would suggest we look at this passage of Christ's return in a new light. To quote N.T. Wright again, The picture of Jesus as the coming judge is the central feature of an absolutely vital and non-negotiable Christian belief. That there will indeed be a judgment in which the Creator God will set the world right once and for all.
The word judgment carries negative overtones for a good many people in our liberal and post-liberal world. We need to remind ourselves that throughout the Bible, not least in the Psalms, God's coming judgment is a good thing. Something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned for. It causes people to shout for joy in the trees of the fields to clap their hands. In a world of systemic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, and oppression. The thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. As I was thinking of that and to thinking how God's judgment will come, there are many examples to give of how God's, God's kingdom will come and the wrongs will be righted and the injustices will be made right as the economy of God's kingdom takes over. There were many to use, and I used just one today. If we're talking about God's justice, we need to speak of the, why don't we speak of the legal system? Maybe you've seen the uh, image of the... Uh, uh, that's often lawyers use or often that's used in the judicial system about the balanced scales, that justice is equal and balanced. But we have to be honest and recognize that is simply not true. That might be the desire of some, but that is not how we function. Michelle Alexander, I read a book by her just a few years ago that's now becoming, it, uh, it will be a classic. It's called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. And she talks about the overwhelming number of people in color imprisoned, and many for minor crimes, and many are put in, in, in prison for years for minor crimes of, uh, of drug possession, of marijuana, and things of that nature. But because the poor, she's speaking more specifically of the color, but then of blacks, but then she moves into just the poor, because they don't have the money to get attorneys and legal representation, their lives are destroyed in the judicial system. She wrote an article in the New York Times op-ed on uh, November 26th of this year. The title of the op-ed was Telling My Son About Ferguson. In it, she states, the system is legally rigged. The system is legally rigged so that poor people guilty of relatively minor crimes are regularly sentenced to decades behind bars. And even if someone for a small crime is not sentenced for years behind bars, once they are put in the prison system, it's hard to break out of that cycle. It's then hard to get a job. It's then hard to break out of the cycle that exists when one enters the prison system. White-collar criminals are rarely, are rarely jailed, said Jason Bartolucci at Carlo University, professor of law, whose research focuses on fraud and nonviolent crimes. Bartolucci states, prosecutors really only look at white-collar crimes as a property crime. So it gives the perception that there's not as much damage, when in fact, the damages are often greater than a common street crime. But the punishment is usually always much, much less. Those with resources, those with money, who can hire attorneys that can work through the legal system, rarely go to prison. When we used to, uh, and we'll be going again maybe next year or the year after to Jackson, Mississippi to work at the John Perkins Foundation, there was a former sociology professor that um, wrote a book called From Oppression to Jubilee Justice. His name is Lowell Noble, and he would give us a tour of downtown Jackson and, and see the check cashing places, 14 check cashing places in a mile strip 
in, in West Jackson, 14 check cashing places. And I don't know if you know, those are predatory lenders. People borrow from the check cashing places and then there's an extreme interest of 50 or 60% and people get caught in those cycles. It's an injustice within the, within the system. But he's actually from Iowa. He's the one who introduced me to Michelle Alexander's book. And looking at his own state, the state of Iowa, he says this. In 2008, Iowa had a 2 and 24 problem. 2% of Iowa's population was black. But 24% of Iowa's prison population was black. 2% of the state's population is black, yet 24% of the prison population in all Iowa is black. Even if Iowa's black population were twice as criminal as the white population, the percentage would only be 4%. For me, it is obvious that massive racial profiling is involved. Iowa should be required to prove it has stopped racial profiling. So we look at systems like this, injustices, and this is just one. When Christ returns... There will not just be personal redemption where we're personally brought up and reunited with Christ as the kingdom of God comes. As wonderful and great as that is, but there will be global redemption. Judgment will come against systems and powers that destroy, and that is good news. Or as it says in Revelation, that very scary book, Revelation. As it said in Revelation, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And He will reign forever and ever. And that is a message of great hope. But we don't just wait for that to happen. We don't just allow these injustices to continue. We become part of working for the kingdom of God while we are here. We become part of working for the kingdom of God and advancing God's kingdom. God's kingdom has already come in His Son, Jesus Christ. We will celebrate that in a few weeks and we prepare for that through this Advent season. But it has not yet come to completion. That's why we look forward to the second coming of Christ. When His kingdom does come in its full power and authority. It will be completed when Christ returns. But we can see signs of the kingdom breaking in and we can take part in building for the kingdom of God. Robert Louis Stevenson, author of the classic book Treasure Island and many others, Spent a great deal of time in his room as a child. He was very sick as a child. He was always looking out the window, and one day while watching a man walking down the street, lighting the street lamps, one at a time, his nurse walked in the room and asked him, What are you looking at? The very young Robert Louis Stevenson said, I am watching a man punch holes in the darkness. Watching a man punch holes in the darkness. The Word of God tells us that the light of Christ shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So I want to encourage you today to be one who punches holes in the darkness, so that the light of Christ can break through that darkness. We have seen examples of that over the last few weeks. After the decision not to indict the officer in Ferguson, Go to Facebook and you saw some very passionate people and different things in social media. But you also saw great hope. You saw lights that shine in the darkness. On the National Latino Evangelical Coalition Twitter page, and that's our friend Gabriel Salguero, who many of you know, who spoke here last semester. Um, He's a dear friend, and I'm just a side note, get off topic just for a minute. When uh, President Obama flew to Las Vegas to announce uh, the immigration reform, 
he only asked one religious leader aboard Air Force One to go with him and be there, and that was our friend Gabriel Silguero. But this was posted on Nelliak's page, and many of you have seen this picture of Devante Hart and the Portland Police Sergeant Brett Barnum. I've read a little bit about the photo. Devante's parents are white. He is adopted. And down at the protest, he and his family, uh, as they were marching for Ferguson, he took a sign that said, Free Hugs. But while he was standing there watching the protest, near some police officers, he was crying, for he was afraid. He was starting to understand, at least in a deeper way, that perhaps, perhaps because the color of his skin would mean that maybe at times his life is in danger, perhaps, even from police officers. So as he stood near the police officer, he was frightened, as his mother tells the story on her blog site. The Portland police officer, Sergeant Brett Barnum, noticed that he was crying and called him over and began a conversation, asked him about school and what he did in the summer, and just began to get to know him. And then the sergeant asked if he, too, could have a free hug. And then this photo was taken. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Maybe many of you read of New Orleans Saints player Benjamin Watson, his Facebook post the day after the verdict. It was one of the most profound things that I have read in quite some time. And the only thing about him that is a little off is that he plays for the New Orleans Saints. But other than that, he seems like to be a great guy. In his Facebook post, he talked about how he's angry and frustrated and fearful and embarrassed and sympathetic and offended, confused, introspective, hopeless, hopeful, encouraged. Allow me just to read a few of them. I am angry because the stories of injustice that have been passed down for generations seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I am fearful because in the back of my mind, I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I could still be locked up, I could still be looked at as a threat to those who don't know me. So I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. A little further down in this post. I'm sympathetic because I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Darren Wilson acted with his rights and duty as an officer of the law and killed Michael Brown in self-defense like any of us would in the circumstance. Now he has to fear the backlash against himself and his loved ones when he was only doing his job. What a horrible thing to endure if that's the case. He concludes by saying, I am encouraged. Because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, it is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I am encouraged. Because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus. And with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in the very human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So finally, and I don't know if he knew what the theme of Advent was this week as he wrote, but he concluded by saying, so finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives us all hope. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The kingdom of God breaks through even now, and we see images and glimpses of it, and we must work towards it. But allow me to move to a more personal example of hope. One 
in one of your fellow students' lives. The one student who sent me a picture, even though I asked all of you to do it, the one picture was by Monica Franquist, who sent me a picture of her brother Brandon. She wrote this. This is a picture of my big brother. He has cerebral palsy, so he's in a wheelchair. He cannot talk. This is the perfect picture of hope to me, for he never ceases to be happy, despite his disability. A light shines in the darkness, and cerebral palsy cannot overcome it. Even though we do not know the hour when Christ returns, we live with this hope. That in the end of all things, the world will be made right and God's justice will reign. The disease and sickness will be no more. So we work, live, and serve to build for and advance the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So be one who does just that. Be a light that shines in the darkness. Don't waste your days being one who contributes to the darkness. So be a lawyer or a social worker or a pastor or a business person, teacher that works towards truly balancing the justice system. Be a voice for those who have no voice. I'm learning more and more about this, understanding it better in part due to working with friends, clergy from around Boston that I had not worked with before. But when we have 700 homeless that don't have a place to sleep at night in this upcoming winter, who have no voice, authority, or power. Someone needs to speak up for them. Next week, I'll have a meeting with an organization that asked if they could come to campus to see if students would like to volunteer. And the name of the organization is called Friendship Home. Let me tell you a little bit about their mission. It says, Friendship Home's mission is to enrich the lives of individuals with development disabilities and their families by providing quality respite care and support services in a safe and caring environment. So I'm hoping that some of you may be willing to be that friend and be a light in the darkness. And by the way, at Friendship Home, I guarantee you the light of Christ is already glowing brightly. So go and be a light in the darkness. Advance God's kingdom. Need to Breathe is a band that I enjoy listening to. They refer to themselves as a rock and roll band from South Carolina. And if I say I'm a fan of a rock and roll band, for some reason I feel younger. But they have a song called Wasteland on their current album, which I really enjoy. Because of the message and one line, and it says this. And in this wasteland that I'm living, I see a crack in the door filled with light. And it is all that I need to get by. So I want to thank you because in you I have seen that light. In you I have seen that love and care and desire to serve in so many beautiful and wonderful ways. Different ministries and organizations, but also the way you care for and look out for one another. Perhaps we should be doing more of it, but I have seen it. And it gives me great hope. Hope, N.T. Wright says is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. 
The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. So my question to you is, do you want to help transform the world? This is not another BS message on hope. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And that really is good news of great joy to all people. For those of you who have not yet made the decision, do you want to be a part of God's new creation? The new creation being God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want to be part of God's new creation? See, texts like this were often used to to put fear in people so that they come to accept Christ. I'm actually going to do the opposite today. I hope you've seen the light of the kingdom of God here on this campus. I hope you've seen it at times through your fellow students or in churches and hopefully even here in chapel at times. Do you want to be part of this new creation, a part of the kingdom of God? New creation always begins individually. It begins by you becoming a new creation. The Bible tells us, promises us, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. I want to invite you today to become a new creation in the very image of Christ Jesus. To live your life not in the darkness that surrounds us, but to live in the light of Christ that pierces the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. Will you decide to follow Jesus? Become a new creation in the image of Christ and join me, join us, join the church universal in bringing forth God's kingdom, God's new creation, so that God's kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And know that in the midst of the darkness, we can rejoice because the light of the world has come through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.